Welcome to today's episode of the Flank Podcast. From an ops perspective, there's always a million things going on. Like, I don't, I think we kind of want people to sign up who don't entirely get it yet. Struggle here with getting to one succinct explanation is that Flank can be applied to a lot of different problems. Today, we talked to Julian Jordan, who used to work at Weekend Help. He nominally worked in operations, but really, he did a little bit of everything to improve the customer's journey. He sat down with us to talk about the Flank customer journey, especially in the early stages. I'm Angus. I'm Mallory. I'm Bryce. I'm Trevor. And And we're Flank. How would you say um, your roles have changed between like being technical and like non-technical throughout your career? Um, I think the the path that I've kind of chosen, and this will probably feed into some of the conversation about Flank itself, but I think there's a lot of, there's a pretty big gap between technical competence and then um, end application in a business setting. So in almost every company I've been with, there's this pretty big chasm between people who say what reports they want or what analytics they want done, and then the people who are actually fulfilling that request. And I've served, I've really intentionally tried to bridge that gap wherever I can. And so I look at things like background in data and um, statistics as part of a toolkit, not the end specialty. Now, of course, there are people who are very specialized in analytics and data science, and they go on to solve much more complicated problems than I ever could. But um, I think there's another path where you can kind of bridge that gap between people who have the technical background and then the folks who own a PL or like own some set of metrics from a business perspective that are really important for top line growth or bottom line growth. Um, and so all my roles have pretty much had a component of mixing the two. The current role that I'm in, you know, we were working in a very old industry, um, but in any industry, there's room for application of data and using data to solve tough problems. And the first people that can do it well usually win, I think. Um, and so it, I think you just kind of, you bring it along with you rather than like neglecting to focus on it, if that makes sense. What yeah. is, um, sorry, this small question. What, what is a, a PNL? Yeah, profit and loss statement. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's a perfect question. That's a I'm glad you asked that question, Trevor, because uh, there's a company I was with earlier, where, you know, we had acquired a bunch of different businesses and um, needed to prepare financial statements, right, in a really easily visualizable way. So that business leaders who seldom leave their email could like see how the business is running. Um, but then the technical folks who are gathering requirements and building the dashboards to support that ask had no idea what an income statement was and didn't know like what, you know, how accounting principles worked or there, there's just a lot of context missing. And I think, um, finding people and or systems and tools to bridge the gap between those two worlds is really challenging and, uh, is, you know, it, it seems like. I kind of like the term you used, Angus, with operational hacker. It kind of seems like that's where Flank sits in the world of business. It's bridging the two to to, um, to whatever extent possible. That's certainly the way we see it. Um, something else I was going to say, just just based on my my experience, I think both with Flank and and also with the Hornets, 
Um, you know, it feels like if you just sort of take the attitude of like just walking towards the biggest fire at a company, like that's rarely, it rarely takes you down the same path as becoming a super specialized engineer who does X, Y, Z. Um, I just almost feel like there's just some, there's just some random thing that needs to get done. You know, that's not, that doesn't fit into some like fancy problem solving thing that you want to be doing. Um, yeah. And I think, I think we've all run into a bit of that where at least like Trevor's Trevor, you know, is like studying CS, but this summer it's like, okay, what do we, what do we need to be working on? We need to be doing more sales, more outreach. And he's been just sort of like walking towards that full steam ahead, which has been, you know, like less engineering, but I think like way more valuable in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, it's funny. I think with folks, this is just bound to happen with people who specialize in a technical field or have some kind of advanced degree, masters, PhD, what, what have you. Um, I think there's such a thing as getting too specialized, you know, because at the end of the day for a business to work, you need a product, you need to have a product that delights your customers you need to be able to charge more for it than what it costs for you to produce. And that's kind of it. But under those, um, under those criteria, there's a ton of things you need to do, right? And so like the product needs to work. So that's more of the engineering perspective, but determining how much people are willing to pay for it, uh, that's kind of a, a sales thing, right? And a marketing thing, figuring out like, what is the landscape that you're in look like? What are the alternatives that you're comparing yourself against or that your buyer's comparing you against? And how can you articulate the value you provide to people in such a way that it gets them to be really excited to license the product. Um, and so that's, that's like just product and sales, right. And engineering. And then there's how do you develop an organization and retain talent and hire the best people. And then there's like, yeah, it, it just under those two very simple things of delighting customers and making more money than you're spending. It, there's just a lot of work that goes into it and um, being too specialized in one thing, you, I think miss the forest for the trees. Yeah. I also wonder if we just define specialization in the wrong way, because in one sense, the business has to be super specialized, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like, if you're that, if you're that engineer who takes the time to learn everything about an income statement, you're sort of like taking your specialization in a direction that's super useful for the business. Although most people would not consider that to be quote unquote more specialized as an engineer. You know, it's mm -hmm. like we think of like engineer specialization as going super deep on some front end technology or something. But I think in a lot of ways, you know, just learning what an income statement is like is a form of specialization. It's just like one that's, I think more useful and less probably like recognized by the broader job market. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's probably true. And I, I don't think like anything's wrong with specialization. If that's, if you want to solve a certain type of problem or develop a certain skill set, that's going to serve you well, no matter what, right. You just got to figure out how to apply it. But I've just found that working across departments and doing a lot of cross pollination of figuring out how other people think and the tools they use to solve different problems has been really helpful. Yeah. Um, in, in my career at least and the kind of the different roles that I've been in. How would you compare the um, kind of cross pollination and 
like cross-functional work you've done uh, to other roles who are kind of like cut across those same types of categories, but maybe like do it slightly different functions, like kind of um, like maybe comparing your work to like engineering managers or product managers, uh, because it seems like you're like a little bit more like execution based while also still taking some like analytical approach from it. Like, I wonder, like, kind of, do you have a good sense for how that would differ from EMs and PMs? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think you rightly identified that my work can tend to be a little bit more execution focused. That you know, I think with PMs in particular, there's a pretty visible set of artifacts that PMs produce to that that are kind of the that um, I guess it all depends on what level of an organization you're referring to for a PM or EM, but I feel like not having been in those roles, I feel that they're more about how do you build kind of a cohesive team culture, and especially if you're a manager of managers, you're seldom like, you're seldom doing any IC work at that role or that, at that level, but your job is to build a machine or system of people effectively, not to look at it too coldly, but you want the your org to produce meaningful product in whatever variety that can come in. It doesn't have to be an actual like physical product. It could be written policies or, you know, some kind of organizational change, but your job at the more senior manager levels is to build team cohesion, build in a shared vision over where the team is going and why they're important for the organization. And then, you know, ultimately try to, automate your way out of the job as, as a manager. You want all these teams to be so um, kind of able to execute independent of you that you're able to focus elsewhere and maybe grow into different um, fields of work. Yeah. Whereas mine's a little bit more blocking and tackling. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, There's actually a good book on this, if you guys are ever curious. I mean, it's like not entirely relevant for size company you guys have, but um, Andy Grove, who was one of the first few folks at Intel and then later ran the company, has a book called High Output Management. And it's kind of all about organizational dynamics when you're a manager of managers. Uh, and I found it really helpful just to kind of think through, like, if you're not writing code, what are you doing throughout the day? You know, and it's, it's, uh, it takes a job for people. That makes a lot of sense because like we've definitely been uh, working on like contextualizing the problem and just like the idea that flank can be a cross-functional problem. I think uh, just getting like more learnings and how uh, different roles kind of view themselves and their work has been pretty helpful for kind of refining our own sense of messaging. The Flank Podcast is brought to you by Flank. Flank helps operational companies build internal tools fast. I mean, I just, that wouldn't even apply to some of our customers. I don't think they'd describe ourselves themselves as operational and they wouldn't describe what they're using Flank for as internal tools. So, I mean, it sounds right, but I don't know. That's fair, that's fair. Um, because they're not always internal uh, and yeah, the operational thing. Um, all right, Flank helps engineers deliver tools to end users fast. I think the same 
thing would apply where some people might use the word dashboards or apps. Tools is just, tools is vague and they might think end users in terms of their external facing customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like admin panels and like the things that people actually use in companies are like how you think about internal tools. You don't really think like, oh, I have to go to this form and do that. Um, All right, Flank is a tool for building dashboards, admin panels, and other tooling to support your business. I actually like that. It's pretty high level, but I think... I'm Trevor, and you're listening to the Flank Podcast. Maybe you guys can give me some background on how you've developed your value proposition over time and um, how you've practiced the articulation side of things. The, the short version is that early on, we were just looking at this problem of like, man, it's really hard to run code once it's in the cloud. Just this very kind of abstract idea. Then it was like, okay, when do people run code? And the first iteration of that was, okay, in a data science context, there's a lot of people having to click run on something. So, you know, you kick off a model, whatever. Then we sort of moved from data science to more operational stuff, just because there's a bigger gap between engineer and non-engineer. So then it becomes more like quick hitter stuff, you know, oh, I need to reverse a payment. I need to update this data. I need to, you know, grab this data set, whatever. Um, and then since then, we've, we've pretty much just been on, on ops and internal tools and, you know, apps and dashboards and stuff. And I think a lot, we've, we've kind of gone back and forth between like trying to articulate the problem and trying to sort of explain what Flank is at a very sort of fundamental abstract level. And neither really seems to work that well. So I'm like the analogy that I've been using recently is, is sort of like if you were selling someone a PC back in the eighties and you were like, Oh, like this is a tool that, you know, like takes numbers as input and like does calculations very quickly on them. People would be like, what, like, why do I need that? You know what I mean? Um, and that's, I think at times that's how we've explained flank. And then the other one around the problem is, you know, you pick a specific workflow and you're like, Hey, do you have a problem with, you know, I don't know, putting together income statements quickly enough or something like that. The person's like, yeah. And it's like, well, this is a computer. And it's like, well, how does that solve my problem? I need like an income statement thing. Right. And so more recently, I think we've just been a little bit more focused on like, this is a general purpose tool. You're the creative person, you know, like you figure out like what you want to do with this, but um, it's pretty hard for us to say exactly like what your problem or what your exact flow is that you're, you're struggling with. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so before we dive into this, I'll just riff for a few minutes on a few thoughts here. And, And some of this may be duplicative of where you've already been, but just kind of for, full coverage, just want to go through, go through my, my thought process on this. Um, so 
I think in general, and this might be due to my data background, but the more that you can just really get volume and reps in on articulating what this does to people, the better. But I think you need that volume with a very specific focus. And so, um, you know, I, I do not have a background in design thinking, but I've friends who do, and I've like roughly learned about it. Right. Um, but the key, key thing you need to have is an overview of who the different stakeholders are in any sales process and tying that back to personas. So like the, the person who wants to suggest this product or who this benefits may or may not be the same person who is going to end up signing a contract with you all or approving a payment. And so just figuring out what all of those different people in the purchasing journey need to hear and be convinced of in order to, um, you know, get a, get a win, I think is important at your price point. Obviously it's not like you're selling, um, a hundred thousand dollars software implementation that runs three years or whatever. It's at a lower price point, but I think still you, you want to equip all of those people along the buying journey with the points that they need to feel really good about um about what the product does and so i think the value like you're have you guys seen the value proposition statement it's kind of a common framework that's used i'm not familiar okay it's like it's, it, I'll, I'll send it to you guys later but it's essentially for and you know it's kind of like mad lives but um for your user persona Flank is a product that does whatever job by doing action one and action two, unlike something about a competitor. And so I think that value proposition probably looks different for each of your personas or people that you're trying to sell to. Um, and so I would say like, you guys are obviously doing the really hard and great thing with just trying to figure out how to pitch it to people. But I, I wonder if like focusing on specific functions or within certain industries and getting a ton of reps in that one area would, would be helpful there. Yeah, I think it, I think it would. Um, and I can almost imagine, I can almost imagine a version of this that's like rewritten for, one industry or one job function or something like that where like the language is just tweaked a bit um yeah i was gonna say i think you know it's almost like focus sessions where you start going you know inch wide mile deep with a few people and take the time to really understand where their pain points are so that you guys can both almost do empathy swapping or like you change hats. So you just kind of sit where they do, they sit where you do. You just come up with all the possible pain points that this could address. Do that for, I don't know, 10, 20 people, something like that. And then um, once you have your handle around like what the pain points that you're solving look like, then you could maybe scale up your sample size a bit, but reduce the amount of effort with each conversation and just you're almost like starting deep to identify the problem, pulling up a layer to see of the hundred problems you've identified, what are the 20 that are most common and then lead with those 20 or of those 20 pick five that you can kind of cite as examples that flank helps with. 
Because I feel like what the, like the, the challenge with, I think, any internal tools product is it takes a long time for people to get it. You know, like I, um, I we actually may have even been talking about retool Angus when we first spoke, but, you know, I don't think I would have understood what retool does for quite a while had someone not just taken me through it or explained it to me. And I think retool probably had to invest a ton of money, which would show up in their customer acquisition costs, but a ton of money around education. Like, what is this thing? What is this problem solving? And that education may not have been for the technical people, but more for the business folks who would be partnering with the engineering resources. So, yeah. Um, would you kind of agree with the sentiment that like a lot of internal tool, like builders and like this kind of class of tools, um, the benefits to a company, I think at a high level look really same, really similar where it's like you operate more efficiently, which should hopefully like increase the amount of profit and like reduce the amount of loss and like increase customer satisfaction and stuff. But then even when you like start digging down into what that looks like, it can be like a pretty wide variety of things. Like, do you feel that yeah. way about internal tool things too? Because like, I think that's like one part of the um, articulation process that's been particularly hard for us. Yeah, I mean, so I'll give you an example um, that kind of speaks to your, to your question, Bryce. But, you know, one of the prior companies I was with was in the infrastructure business. And so internal tools there was never going to really help with um, improving revenue growth. Like maybe indirectly, you could make the argument that it would through better visibility into data. But what tools were helpful for there was replacing the need to grow the team linearly with the size of the business from not needing to grow the technical team in lockstep with the size of the business because every, you know, so, so like that shows up in more of how you manage your bottom line, or maybe it's even softer than that. It's just reducing friction between teams. You know, flank helps you cut development time by 85% or something like that. And whatever the point of friction is that you're resolving, just getting really concise on, how people are going to stand to benefit. And it, I don't think you always need to walk it out to the end of the line on saying, you know, improves CSAT, like your, your customer satisfaction or revenue or helps you save money. It can be something softer, but just different people are going to care about different things. And I think like from an ops perspective, there's always a million things going on. Um, and so promises to help simplify things or reduce coordination requirements is always going to be very exciting for people. The issue is that there's a lot of services out there that do that, um, whether that's your average task manager or like, you know, there's a million and one BI tools out there. Um, and so I wonder if Flank would, if you guys would benefit from almost having an us versus them type of value proposition too, where you're saying like, take a more well-known competitor and say, this is what, you know, this service does three out of 10 things, but here's the nine out of 10 things that Flank does, Flank does instead. And that way you're almost like piggybacking on another company's education efforts, customer education efforts and saying, we do that, but it's different in these ways. So a couple things that are there interesting. One is on the retool things. I brought retool to the last company I worked at and we use retool now. Um, 
And I went to the landing page, I think three times. I think I actually might have signed up twice before I really got it. Um, and it's hard to exactly say what it was that clicked. I, th- I think, you know, the first time I went, it was, it was just on, you know, Patrick Collison had retweeted it and I was just like, oh, this looks interesting. Went and checked it out. And then I think the third time I really had a real use case, which was when, um, yeah, I had like a real use case in mind. I had sort of like a vague sense of like, oh, this tool might be able to help. And then it was like, ah, yes, it does help. Um, and there was sort of like that, like the wires connected moment. Um, so I just thought it was interesting you said that. And then, yeah, I think maybe some something that, you know, you were talking about speaking to directly to value props and like maybe something that would be helpful is to just hear a little bit more about like weekend health and some of the, some of the things that, you know, were hard there and like where the, the gaps in the tooling existed um, sort of between, you know, BI and retool and custom built stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this just applies to any role or any company that I've been in that has a BI component and an operations component. Um, there's always like, there's always going to be a really high volume of information that an operations team wants to see, but it's very uncommon for the people who are asking for that information to be the ones that are able to write it. So that results in a really big backlog for any technical resources or team members. Um, and so within Weekend Health, that was actually pretty well managed because the team was very focused on the things they were measuring. And, um, you know, there was a good enough division of, like, there, there are enough people on the operations team that had a slightly technical background so they could write some of their own reports. And, um, you know, we, we used Mode at the time, and that was really helpful because you could really like that tool made it pretty easy to bridge the gap between someone who develops a query and then someone who kind of pulls together the end visuals. It's, it's, I think it's easier to use than Tableau for instance. Um, but in any, like any ops overlap with eng org, you're just going to have that component where ops team has a really high volume of things they want to see. Eng team is building things, uh, more slowly than requests are coming in almost by design in a lot of cases, because you need to, you know, QA your code or make sure that you're pulling the right things, especially if the query gets complicated. Um, and so this deficit kind of accumulates over time. And so finding like that deficit's going to accumulate or there's just going to be a pre-existing backlog that just kind of constantly gets added to. And um, that just becomes pretty challenging from, <clears throat> from a prioritization perspective, especially in organizations where technical resources shared across not one ops team, but like six or 10, you know, different departments and everyone just goes to the one center to ask for things. Um, so any tools that can help reduce the rate of accumulation of that deficit are going to be helpful. Um, but they also have to jive well with other tools in some stack too. Right. Yeah. So, so question on that. So, it sounds like there's some tools. I'm just kind of thinking about like the long tail of stuff on the backlog. 
And like within mm-hmm. that long tail, some of that stuff is solvable in mode by you or one of your other ops people who can write SQL. Then there's like, well, I guess, did you have a backlog of stuff too? Like were, were people piling like more requests onto you than you could solve? It was a little bit different for me because I was kind of like in the driver's seat on both sides, if that makes sense. I would just kind of say, yeah. oh, I need to know this, and then I would go and pull it. But other organizations I've worked in, um, while I was in, in the actual technical role doing the work, I was PMing the team. And there, there was always a pretty high volume of asks of the technical team. And some things were really, it's actually interesting. Some things were easy to do, but weren't very important. That long tail, essentially. Um, not that it wasn't important, but it wasn't urgent. Like it was things that people would get to later. And a lot of the time those tasks would be the first one to get picked up because they're really easy to do and people like completing tasks. So if you have something that's going to take a week to develop versus something that's going to take like two hours, you know, you're probably going to do 10, two hour tasks as opposed to focusing on one big rock to move that week. Cause it just feels really good to like literally check the box and, and get something done. Um, so there's kind of this weird friction, like slightly strange friction there that you'd have to overcome with, you know, when you're pitching something that takes care of the long tail, it's inherently going to take away some of that like easy, quick cut, satisfactory tasks completed kind of thing. But ultimately you are freeing up time to focus on the important rocks to move. And yeah, I can't remember if you, I've heard, I've heard boulders and grains of sand as a, as a metaphor before. Um, but then, um, okay. So of that stuff, long tail. So some of the stuff solvable by you in mode, other stuff, not that stuff's going onto the engineer plate. How would you take that tail of stuff and segment it? And, and it could be however you think about it, but you know, maybe it's like one group of things. It's just like, get me a CSV of this data. And another group of things is like, I need a tool to do X or I don't know, like however, mm. maybe it's by more like by business function. Yeah. I, that's a tough question. To I, don't, I don't have a natural like segmentation that I would think of for that. I, I think um, one way, one really broad distinction is if you're pulling together data to support an analysis or in answering a one-off question, that's kind of one category of stuff that an ops person might do. But if you're thinking about something that's going to be air quotes productionalized, like something that's going to run daily and you need to manage compute or something that, you know, you are, um, um, run, run daily managed compute, or you're going to share it with the entire organization or, the work in itself is just more complicated. Like you're pulling from an API, right? Um, those are all things that I think for me, at least usually would get pushed out versus things that are going to take less than a day and are in support of some other broader business initiative. I'll probably do myself. Is that, is that helpful at all? Yeah. So not sure if we need need a seg here or what it should be or if we should just rearrange this clip to earlier in this recording where it might make more sense but this next clip gets back to the difficulty of communicating about flank in particular that flank is many things
Maybe part of the struggle here with getting to one succinct explanation is that flank can be applied to a lot of different problems. And so just hitting people over the head with like use cases on use cases on use cases would be helpful. Um, Because one thing I was thinking about as you were kind of talking here was it might be a disservice to you all to overgeneralize on operations. Like operations encompasses most things that aren't like sales and marketing or product or maybe finance, right? But operations can be a ton of different things. And so, you know, like every organization is going to have their payments team and their Zendesk team. And like, it just gets pretty specific pretty quickly. And, and there might be pain points in those departments coordinating with one another that Flank can help solve that you won't hit on by looking at just operations as a whole. But this seems to me like a, because Flank is so unique um, in that it addresses this long tail of problems to solve, it would be tough to encapsulate like one home run use case maybe. And, and you'll get there eventually, of course, but just giving people a really large number of, of use cases that you've helped people with in the past will get them thinking through how it can be applied to the issues that they're encountering on a day-to-day basis. Yes, I would say that, okay, that is, that is, I mean, what do you guys think? I feel like. I think that's our key problem. And that's something that we've, like Rob's talked about a lot too, is, um, you know, between two customers, the way that they use it is entirely different. Like one's using it as a really lightweight dashboard to see how their models are running. And the other one's using it for solving like quick marketplace like refund orders like you know update error code like just very like quick stuff that is more of write actions and the other companies like entirely read dashboard etc <laughs> so like between the two they both like it and i think they like it for the same reasons that it gets like very big operations done very quickly or you know it, it pieces together data from different sources but their use cases are not similar whatsoever and so if we talk to someone and you know we miss their use case because we gave them we gave them the lightweight read and they want to do frequent writes then we've pretty much missed them entirely and they're like yeah this isn't useful for me so yes i think you're i think you're very right in that sense yeah and then it feels like we when we describe it abstractly people are like what are you talking about <laughs> yeah yeah and i think like being abstract is okay, but then you just got to have a fast follow on like, here, here are some rough categories of use cases. And then within the categories, give specific ones. One other type of clarification I was kind of curious about is when you said uh, overgeneralizing on ops, um, what like subcategories of ops do you think this probably like relates best to? Like, is there uh, like a way they'd refer to themselves internally? And like, I know it could change company to company, but are there stuff we should probably be looking for and like key in on? I think it depends on the industry, honestly, and the company size and like, you know, B2B company might have very different departments from B2C. Um, That's a really good question. I'm happy to follow up on that one. I, I do have to run, unfortunately, but really enjoyed this, this session with you guys. To the extent that I can ever be of help or resource in the future, let me know. Happy to um, check out any other copy that you guys have or just kind of brainstorm 
more. Um, I think you guys are you're definitely on the right path. It's just like because it's such a wide application, boiling it back to one thing is tough. Um, but I would just say like you have a vault, you've had a ton of conversations, I'm sure. And so sharing just like the 20 things that you've hit on with people that have resonated would be probably I good. Kinda, I kind of like that vibe of like, here's all, here's like use cases, use cases, use cases, like just get people, get people seeing other people doing stuff. Wait, yeah. what did they do? How did they do that? How does this fit in? Just like, you know, pattern matching in like nine different ways. Anyway, dude, I yeah. thought this was awesome. This was like super good content, I thought. So Yeah, I, I thought so too. Thanks for having me on. And it was really great to to speak with all of you and meet all of you. Um, and like I said, feel free to reach out if I can be of any help at all. Thanks for listening to the Flank Podcast. If you'd like to follow us, check out our site at flank.cloud and follow us on Twitter at flankatx. Bye.